Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 47 of Trail Society brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Hunninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And we are all at home. I'm no longer traveling. I'm home for seven weeks. Keely is about to leave for forever, it feels <laughs> like. Hilly, you're back running, right? Eh, ish. I really wouldn't ish. call it that. But or, uh, yeah. Hiking? Bug, bug, bug hunting, maybe? They're coming out. It is springtime. So that's been interesting. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad you're moving. It seems like you're getting out on your bike, getting prepared mm-hmm. for Unbound. Mm-hmm. That's that'll be fun. Uh yeah, it's been like four weeks. So signed up for some mountain bike races. That'll be fun. Non-technical mountain bike races, or at least not that technical. So we'll Which we'll ones? see how I survive with that. Cross country. Love it. Yeah. Which ones? Uh some Leadville races. Sick. Oh, nice. Yeah. That'll like be the super Leadville fun. 100. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, the probably the most technical part about that, um, I'd be welcome for people's uh, opinions, but it's like the amount of people that are doing a mountain bike race. Cause mm-hmm. yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. There's some, yeah, there's some human factor, mm-hmm. human yes, factor exactly. for sure. Versus technical riding. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. That'll be fun. Last year when JT was supposed to ride it and it was like, I wish I would have had my gravel bike. To ride yeah. the course. Yeah, for most of it. I mean, there's well, a lot that you should probably have a mountain bike for, but it's mostly like pretty buff. Yeah, I mean, it felt. I know the course for the hundred, the fifty that I signed up for is a little bit different. Um, it's a little bit more technical, but yeah, for the most part, you could. I think that just the difference is that like long of a day just like beats you up, and for the descents, it just makes it a little bit. Yeah, more the power line descent would be stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's why you want a mountain bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's like yeah. four water bars that you'd have to survive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no wow. suspension needed but yeah some bigger tires uh-huh. for sure Water bars. You, what are these just, these are the rises flat out all the yeah time like the little dips essentially oh those okay i thought you meant like actual physical like i was on a gravel bike ride the other day and they added in this new little it's like they have the little like kind of like bridges that you can travel but they're metal but they didn't mm-hmm. like they just put it in there they didn't put any like little like they didn't like pack it into the sand and so you're like kind of going over and i was just like oh man could have wiped out Good thing I slipped out. <laughs> Glad you didn't wipe out. Keely, happy belated birthday. Well, thank you. You almost share one with Steven. When's his birthday? The 28th. Oh, nice. Day after. What'd you yeah. guys do? Uh, I was gone. Steven was supposed to go skiing with friends, but the weather was like, it was the first warm weekend mm-hmm. everywhere, basically. And so the mountains were literally like just like shedding snow. So they went for a long run and did some like crevasse rescue practice i was at canyons which we'll talk about here in a little bit so i successfully missed both our birthdays this year <laughs> over solid um <laughs> i went to an Oli rain uh women's professional soccer game last night it was so cool whoa yeah it was we talk about them a lot and we talk about like angel city and i got to actually go like they played angel city last night it oh, was cool. really really cool Whoa. here yeah here in seattle my friends had an extra ticket and i was like yes i'm in tell me where to be when and i'm there um i'm gonna do some more of that that was such a, like a delightful evening in seattle mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i love going to the thorns games yeah yeah i'll have to come to portland we'll have to go to a game together mm-hmm. when they come to portland we can watch <gasps> I'm in. <laughs> okay. Well, before we d- dive into the things that happened last weekend and some news, we have to give a shout out to 
one of the sponsors that's been around since the beginning with us. That's AG1, really the green, the green magic powder, as many of you know it. I think it's in, I think I have a travel packet in like every single one of my bags, kind of like a travel chapstick, you know, you've got chapstick for your car and chapstick for your running bag and chapstick for your backpack and your purse, et cetera. That is my athletic greens travel packets. They are literally in all of my pockets and belongings at this point, just so that I have one no matter where I am. And if you would like to try um, athletic greens that AG one, you can go over to www.athleticgreens.com slash trail society. And there with your first order, you can get a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. Go try some AG one today, but back to Auburn, back to canyons. We've got some results to go over. You guys, this weekend was bumping on the race front. (laughs) Did you sleep at all? Uh, I mean, last week was insane. I got home on Tuesday and then flew to canyons on Thursday. Dylan had just flown in from Japan. So we were a just a mess of humans trying to, and then it was like 90 degrees. So we were at our, I think we were at our very best this weekend, just peak performance going down. Seems about right. Yeah. In the elements thriving. It was brutal. Like, I don't know. I think people like trauma bonded out there survival this weekend Mm. at the hundred mile, especially like, Oh my goodness. Oh man. I know way hotter than they expected. I mean, it was, it was 90, like the first warm weekend of the year, like exceptionally warm. I think it was back down to like 59 or 60 on Monday. Like it was literally just a heat wave Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then it was like super nice and chill. Like it just like, it just snowed a little bit more in Tahoe this weekend. Of course it did. Yeah, (laughs) obviously. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really cool. The hundred mile kicked off on Friday at 9am. Um, got to see those guys and gals leave Auburn. They had to modify all the courses due to, um, the mosquito burn, um, like fire scar that's over in the forest Hill, Michigan bluff area. And then actually all the snow that's up in the, up, you know, kind of just North of that towards, um, the China wall staging area where the races usually finish. So they had to modify courses, which I think led to lots of confusion, they were running like loops and then other loops and then some mm-hmm. more loops. And they were coming into aid stations multiple times and then leaving in opposite directions. Oof. And so it sounds like, it sounds like almost everyone got a little bit lost mm-hmm. in the hundred mile race, which I think that plus the heat was like a real attrition getter. Like it had something like a 55% dropout rate, like Oof. super high. Um, hence the trauma bonding. I think anyone who made it to the finish line <laughs> survived just an epic out there. Nothing worse than being at mile like 80 and being hot and not knowing where to go. <laughs> right. Oh and just being like, and I'm lost now. And my pacers don't know where we're going to oh go. Cause gosh. it sounds like sounds like the latest GPX file for the hundred mile race wasn't accurate. Uh, they couldn't mm-hmm. get an up, like enough up-to-date one. And so it was like, I was talking to Alex King who was pacing Alex Borsek and he's like, yeah, I didn't know where to go. Like the GPX file was useless. Like we were just like, like hoping we were headed the right direction. Oh gosh. So that sounds awful. The men's race ended up in basically a tie. I think they credited both men with the same finishing time. Though I think technically Matthew Clement was like a step ahead of Luo mm-hmm. Ken Hao, the Chinese athlete. Um, but they literally ran together for something like 14 hours of a 17 hour race. They missed the finishing shoot and then they were like, had to go over the barriers. And then one of them fell going over the barriers and the other one waited for the other one who had fallen 
and they like oh, ran to the finish line and i think matthew technically like finished like a step ahead but they gave him the same, yeah, the same finishing time not purposeful step though he didn't like yeah. at the very end. i don't think he leaned to cross the finish line <laughs> you know in front it was a like we finally made it and then uh canyon woodward finished third about 40 minutes back so a good a good one two three the women's side Alyssa clark led basically from the wire um she was supposed to race istria but had some like travel trouble or something. And so pivoted was going to do the hundred K here. And then at the last minute, basically decided to do the hundred mile, which is bold, but you know, good, good on her. She's a toughie. <laughs> um, she is uh, like, I think under the radar for most people, but having like seen her like run hurt 100 and some other stuff, like in, in California, kind of in her backyard, like she's she's tough and she's strong. And yeah, she ran a really good race. I think it was just over 20 hours. Um, Alexis Crellin was second. She's like a mom of three and she ran really close to Alyssa most of the day. They didn't finish that far apart. Um, at like at the end of things, like pretty, like super solid run from Alexis Crellin and then Annie Hughes, who sounds like got super hyponatremic. Mm-hmm. Like when mm-hmm. I hear, when I hear about cramping, I'm like, mm, like maybe a little bit of electrolytes, but that's mostly just like your body being tired. She had like, when you have like full body seizing, mm-hmm. like that is generally something a little bit more extreme than like a little bit of fatigue and dehydration. Um, like her Instagram post. Did you guys read that? Mm-hmm. I did. It was a little bit scary. Yeah. But it seemed like, like oh she gosh. took like two salt tabs and then felt better. And I and was, was like, totally fine. <laughs> yeah. I was like, the body is super weird. And to me, I'm like, that sounds like she was hyponatremic ie it was so hot you know they were sweating a lot drinking probably a lot of water yeah probably not getting in quite enough electrolytes but i don't um, know if two salt tabs would have fixed hyponatremia should have, yeah though, should so fix that i, I have no know. idea so <laughs> needless to say whatever happened it like abated yeah it she, sounded gnarly yeah like imagine mm-hmm. having and then just being like oh i'm fine i can run the final 30 miles of this race yeah <laughs> la 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 so super impressive like something that i think many of us would drag ourselves off the course with, um, Annie is super, super strong. And I'm really excited to see her run hard rock in July. So yeah, like that'll be, that'll be very cool. Alexis Krella and I imagine we'll be going to UTMB with this finish. And then Alyssa Clark is running Valderon next in July. And then is doing the dragon's back race Mm. in, which is the UK, I believe in the fall. So she'll use this entry to go to UTMB in 2024 and we'll talk more about how that qualification works in just a little bit. But yeah, crazy cool 100-mile race, 100K race, right? Golden ticket race, golden ticket plus like entry into UTMB. Did you guys follow follow along at all? Refresh trackers, panic over the live stream. That was an, a companion piece yeah. at best. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I like checked in sporadically uh, just to see who was close to Ida, but it seemed like she was pretty much by herself or Ida since the get-go. Yeah. Ida got lost though, but yeah, she did get lost. Yeah. She yeah. took a 10 minute detour. So at one point in time I was like, Oh, did Ida go out too hard? Like, cause Ida always looks like she's working really hard. Mm-hmm. Like she just has a try hard face and it's just like, she looks like she's dying and it's just, she's totally fine. It's just how Ida runs. But yeah. So all of a sudden on the live tracker, we're like, Oh no, actually Priscilla's in first and Ida's like back in like fourth or fifth. Um, but it sounds like she ran like 10 minutes the wrong way out of an aid station and had to like make Got up it. time pretty early on, uh, kind of first half, like somewhere between, yeah, I would say it's somewhere between like the 45 and 60 K mark. So like, okay. 
early enough, but still like not. Yeah. Not, not good. Like yeah, you yeah, could yeah. totally like panic yourself out of a race at that point. Totally. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So Ida took a wrong turn. She caught up to everyone. Like her and Priscilla came into like the mile 48 eight station together. I want to say cool. Something like that. And then Ida like just continued to like churn through the field. She had like the fifth, including the men, she had the fifth fastest back 25k. Wow. Like hammered. Hammered. Hammered yeah. the final. I knew she wanted that ticket. After Black Canyon, she's like, oh, now I gotta go run Canyon. So I really want that ticket. <laughs> yeah. And I think she's staying in the US until Western States. So <clears throat> she hadn't she hadn't booked a ticket home, got the golden ticket, is gonna stay and train stateside. I think she's gonna go to Flagstaff. Cool. Um, so super excited, excited to see her at Western States. Priscilla Forgy in second, Edmonton, Edmonton, Canada, not Colorado, Edmonton, Alberta. Um, she has taken the golden ticket. We got confirmation on that yesterday, um, which is exciting. Um, I think she had planned to like, hopefully go to CCC UTMB type of thing, but she took the ticket. Um, and like, I hadn't, I didn't know who she was at all before the race. And like, got to run behind her a little bit around mile 14. And she was just like the happiest human being, just like so calm mm. and chill and really feels like she took that energy all the way to the finish line. Like in her finish line interview with us, she was like, yeah, I, I kind of hoped that I could be top 10. Like I was really hopeful that I could maybe squeeze into the top 10 mm. and she like takes second, you know, really like really <laughs> handedly, like very, very cool. So, and has taken so the golden fun. ticket to Western States. So Amazing. yeah. And then devastatingly though, Arroyo Sio finishes third, just 10 minutes behind Priscilla. She was also third at Tarawera. Oh, in I a very to see and, her at States too. Right. Like she was at States last year, got the golden ticket at, at, uh, at Canyons last year. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a great day at Western States. Like was hoping to get back in, has put in some like work this winter, third at Tarawera, third here, just not quite, didn't quite get the ticket, which is a huge mm-hmm. bummer, but that's that's racing right that's golden ticket hunting mm-hmm. so oh, totally. yeah super super cool though um just aggressive fun racing i think anna mckinney who finished fourth same sort of thing was also fourth i think at Terrawera. got it like also yeah. really close to arroyo Cio. like they you ran can't slack in these these races anymore it's like no, there's no slacking there's people so close all the time it's so mm-hmm. fun yeah, you can't you can't relax. You're racing for a hundred k. Men's races. Cole Watson finally got his golden ticket. Yeah, he's been hammering the trails down there. So I'm so stoked to see that. Yeah, I mean, he lives in Sacramento. It's his backyard. He ran, I think, like a textbook day. Like told was told he couldn't take over the lead until mile forty. By mile forty eight, he had like a nine minute lead over the field. Dang, nice. Super super cool. Adam Mary, like rising star. We've had him on the podcast his stock is going up wins chuckanut <laughs> comes here finishes second dad strength i don't know at like yeah. just super exciting to see adam really crush it mm-hmm. and yeah, then that's episode 34 for those of you who want to go back and listen yeah it's a great interview adam mm-hmm. is a phenomenal human being um and he recently was on uh dylan's podcast as well the free trail podcast and it's it's also a great talk they're talking a lot about uh worlds last year and kind of some philosophy things um, and then Justin Grunwald, like he a did great it. third place, so like <laughs> Jesus, like I'm he, so glad he finished his tracker wasn't working. We were convinced he had dropped out. Like it was really funny interviewing him after the race. Cause Amanda was like sitting there with the two girls, like 
20 feet away. And Dude, shout out to Amanda for crewing solo with oh two girls. Yeah. Oh with a tracker gosh. that doesn't work. She's like convinced that Justin's just like <laughs> laying there somewhere and like their dynamic. I love it so much. Like, <laughs> it is, it is really great. Like Justin is like so thankful to Amanda to like what she does. Like he's working this week in Minnesota. He'll work like a 90 hour week um, as a hospitalist in Minnesota. And like Amanda's in Colorado, like solo parenting for the week. Um, Like their dynamic is just really cool. They call each other out on things. They like support each other. It was, I just like have so much respect for the two of them and like what they're doing. And to see Justin like get that third place in in a big race like this was like, I think very validating for everyone. And yeah. I mean, him and Adam were like, really like Adam didn't pass until close. the very last. And I know Justin was going for a Western States ticket, like the saga in that household alone to get a Western States I ticket. Know. It's like, it will yeah. come. It will come. Just yeah, maybe so they're, it wasn't they're meant both, to be this year. <laughs> they like, so we asked Justin. Because Amanda did, you know, that's why she did Terawera and yeah. Bandera. <laughs> yeah. So we asked Justin like, okay, so he didn't really want, he's like, you know, I don't, he's like, Western states would be cool. He's like, but I really like, I'm really into the idea of doing CCC or UTMB. And we're like, are you doing CCC or UTMB? Like, are you going to ask to bump up? And he's like, well, Amanda's doing UTMB. And I said, oh, Amanda, we can just run it together. That'd be so much fun. And Amanda said, absolutely not. I will, like, I will, you raise UTMB. I'm going to beat you. And like, and Justin's like, so maybe I'm doing CCC, um, which I thought was like very cute again. Like, okay. they're, Got We're it. Gonna go over there. Yeah. His ultra posted something like, "Oh, he's gonna race UTMB," and I figured it was wrong because I figured he mm. would do CCC. But I guess we'll we'll wait. And we'll see. we'll find out. But yeah. it sounded like Amanda was gonna do UTMB and Justin would do CCC. But who knows? Maybe they're both gonna do UTMB. Either way, they'll be in mm-hmm. Chamonix with the kiddos. Yeah. Like it's gonna be epic. That's so fun. So mm-hmm. huge shout outs, and then quickly through the 50k, men's race was actually really tight. Um, Hayden Hawks just narrowly beat Jeshrin Small. Um, really cool to hear about their dynamic. Josh was like really pushing the downhills and Hayden just kind of like took his time and like is seven years older and more experienced and just kind of like threw down on the final climb and was like, bye Josh. But Josh <laughs> is like overwhelmed and excited with his performance. And then Eric LaPuma, another really solid result for him yeah. headed towards worlds in June and then hopefully CCC in August. And then women, Heather freaking Jackson, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, She's done a hundred miles. She's done a hundred K now she's done a 50 K. Um, like only a couple of weeks after riding the pancake or the waffle ride and yeah, the then Belgian also riding ride, the yeah. Belgian waffle mountain bike ride or something like she's done like multiple bike races as well. Yeah. She did the yeah, Belgian she... waffle ride, which is a gravel race. And then she did, <laughs> yeah. she's doing the lifetime grand prix, which is a cycling series. And she just did the, um, Fuego XL, which is the mountain, bi- the marathon mountain bike ride at Seattle. So mm-hmm. just did that. Um, and it will do unbound, which is like what tech, like, is it three weekends before Western States? Yeah. It's the third of June. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it's, it's, it's 21 days. Yeah. Apart. That's Heather Jackson. <laughs> Are you a mad genius? We don't know, but we're really that excited. on Ironman training it comes in handy. Yeah, she's excited she, not to be I mean, cool anymore. What I was so stoked to hear is her fueling plan. I don't know if you guys have read into what she does, but she fuels like 100 grams of carbohydrates an hour. She's And that is boss. where triathletes will come in and hammer trail runners who are not willing to get their fueling shit together. <laughs> yeah, so she's a badass. We're, I'm, I can't wait for Western States, you guys. The mm-hmm. hype has started. I am excited. <laughs> um, 
And then the women's second and third place finishers, super, super tight battle. It was really exciting to hear about it in the post-race interview. Um, but Katrina Jennings, um, who's Irish, um, she was second and she narrowly took the win over MK Sullivan. They had gone back and forth during the race. MK said when Katrina passed her on this downhill, she passed like Katrina passed her so fast that MK was convinced that they that she couldn't possibly be in the same race. <laughs> so like Katrina must be like in a shorter race or something. And then, you know, she knew that they're in the same race and they were coming towards like the final stretch. And um Tommy Sullivan, MK's husband, was like on the side of the course and like was trying to cheer for MK really quietly and was like, <laughs> you gotta go, you gotta like kind of like just like gesturing. And Katrina like heard it a little bit and like turned and saw MK and was like, ah, and just took off. And like oh, MK man. is like, I couldn't counter it at all. <laughs> Um, oh my gosh, but just so the awesome. dynamic, like the racing, it was uh-huh. such a good weekend of racing. Ugh. So fun. All these races now are just turning into actual foot races instead of wars of attrition. I feel like it's like yeah. people are starting to figure out their cooling strategy, their fueling strategy. And now it's becoming more of a foot race, which is just so cool. Yeah. I mean, Western States. Oh my gosh. Is gonna it's going to be, be a insane. battle of attrition this year. <laughs> you got 50 K of snow and then you've got 15 miles of zero shade with the with the burn the scar. burn zone yeah mm-hmm. it's gonna mm-hmm. be bonkers oh justin whoever just put this in cocodona yeah. this is a great great shout out mm. you wanna you wanna quickly run yeah down the i Coca-Dona just i've been champions? creeping it i've been following it because sally's doing it um mm-hmm. who's still out on the course but yeah uh mike mcknight ended up pulling out the men's win for the cocodona 240 come from behind in like 65th place or something and just like ended up winning by over an hour and a half or something or two hours, like kind of crazy. Um, and then Sarah Ostrowski, she, I probably butchered the last name, but she is um, from Portland. So I know her from when she lived here, but lives she's in now flag part now, of the right? Ar- Aravipa group and lives in flag. Um, she was leading in the beginning and then was like in kind of fourth, fifth, sixth area for a while. And then ended up pulling off the win and just finished like, I don't know, half an hour ago took the win for the women and her progression is pretty cool. Like three years ago, she finished in, I think fourth or fifth in like 96 hours and then was fourth in 82 hours and now took first in like 70 some hours. And so, yeah. And the course, the course has changed a little yeah. bit. I think last year's course was weird right. due to the fires, but yeah, no, she's like such a cool performance. A lot. Eliza LaPierre was uh, a second in the women's field. Yep. She's finished and Mika Thews is also finished. Oh, cool. um, so the top three are in now, um, which is really just like amazing. But yeah, it's absolutely bonkers. Sally's at like mile 238 right now. She's so yeah, close. She's, she's close. like nine miles to go or something. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely just like a bonkers, a bonkers. And I heard Sally's feet are really bad. Like I, heard, I know. Did you see the picture of her trying to cross the river crossing yes, or did. something where they're like, she didn't want to put her feet in, but eventually she had to. Yeah. She like fell in the water. Yeah. I've got oh, an gosh. athlete right now at mile 227. Come on kids. Um, but yeah, Woof. absolutely bonkers. Sarah finished fourth overall. Um, and then actually the dude that was second, Josh Perry, he also kind of came, like started pretty slow and moved his way up. He's a through hiker. He was the dude who did the PCT on uh, self-supported uh, last year mm-hmm. in like record-breaking cool. fashion. Um, so just mm-hmm. these races are so cool and so bonkers. Yeah. Um, oh, but then we have to talk about the centipede scramble just a little bit. Cause yeah, if you want to hear, if you want to hear about it a lot, go listen to the sub hub, yeah. like MK and Danny did, did, were part of the live stream coverage for it. Mm-hmm the racers, the racing, the racers, it was just like 
stupid. There's the vertical one day and then the classic <laughs> mountain up down. There are a bunch of Canadians that showed up and threw down as well. Um, this is also the team qualifier for the vertical race and the classic mountain up down race for, I think four men, four women for each distance. So for, so yeah, so for, and I think there's a lot of doubling up basically. Um, Grayson Murphy was the, Grayson Murphy was like the talk of the weekend. I think she won both days. She won the uphill by five minutes and I think finished 13th overall, I think as well. Dang, that's Um, crazy. Which is like hard to do in short distance racing. Um, Rachel Tomasic was second and Alex Lawson or Alexandra Lawson was third. Um, Nordic skier kind of coming in to the, um, to the trail scene. She's part of the trail team, Andy Wacker's program. Um, Rachel Tomasic was on the team last year. Um, as well. So really cool to see those three women crush it. Allie Mack will be the fourth member of that vertical team. She's an auto qualifier because she's the reigning world champion. Mm-hmm. Um, the men's race was technically won by a Canadian Alexandra Richard Rickard. Um, but Joe Gray finished, I think nine seconds back. And this was Joe's 23rd, 24th national title at 39 years old. Um, so amazing. So, so amazing. So strong. Um, he was followed by Dan Kurtz, Eddie Owens and um, Garrett Kerkorson. I don't know. I feel like his his Instagram handle is like Garrett with a parrot or something. So <laughs> um, super solid men's team there. They doubled back the next day. And I realized that I have my men and women listed backwards, but the men's race was won by Dan Kurtz, followed by Morgan Elliott. There's some really great clips of Morgan Elliott running downhill. Both the clips of him running downhill and of Grayson running downhill are just like, mm-hmm baffling (laughs) that's like hardly a trail no it's just like a it's just like a downhill mossy slope so gross Um, yeah so really cool dan kurtz took that win morgan elliott really happy to see him running well and second liam is it miro yeah he works out with us he's a newly transitioned roadie turned trail and he's so stoked and i'm so stoked for him so a walsh Walsh is wallaby the team (laughs) he uh ran gorge right the 30k Mm -hmm. yep sick and then eddie owens eddie owens is a bay area guy and like no one will know who he is he's like this like blonde this blonde boy um he's like not really a huge part of the trail community but it's like a crusher that we all know about like he doesn't socially he doesn't socially run with the trail community there but he like is super super salt dipsy winner type of thing like he's really really talented um so cool to see him make both those teams and then on the women's side grayson murphy again wins she wins by three minutes over Allie Mack um that was like our first time to see Allie and Grayson I think race head to head um and it sounded like they stayed together for the first like mile and then that was it yeah talk about talk about <laughs> so you'll we'll have Grayson and Allie on both the vertical yeah. and the up down team like Ooh. holy crap worlds mm-hmm. is gonna be bonkers and then uh Rachel Tomazic makes her second team with the classic up down and then Casey Enman Love her legend. Absolute legend. 2011 yeah. world champion, 43 years old, mom of two, I want to say. I, like, I raced against her all the time at skyrunning. She is such yeah. a beast. That's where I first met her. And like, oh man, I remember like pictures of her too, like running on like the crazy technical East Coast trails, like while pregnant and just like bouncing over rocks and, she, and, and stuff. And she had a great Bandera 100K. Like she, oh, she, yeah. had, she had a rough like back 20 miles, but she ran a really good first 50K at Bandera. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, like Casey's obviously really freaking good at this up down stuff, but I can't wait to see her do some more ultras because I think she could be 
really, really good mm-hmm. there as well. So what mm-hmm. a what what a just a team of heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our world's team is stacked. Yeah. Yeah, we are. USA. The AD, the AD K team is stacked. And then this will come out right after breakneck. Breakneck is happening this weekend. We're recording on Thursday. Um, that will name the 42 K team. Uh-huh. Um, so that will be exciting. That's going on this weekend out east. Um, also really, really stacked fields. Like I know Bailey Kowalczyk is, is racing it. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be cool. Like mm. hold on to your pants, kids. It's gonna Who, be uh, wants a good to race. go to Innsbruck. A lot of people, apparently. <laughs> um, okay, I think that's it for the racing news right now. We're gonna move on to um some some news from the rest of the trail running world. The first being the UTMB elite qualification stuff. I don't know how I copy and pasted um a, a tweet and I kept I like tweeted over and over and over again um to respond to a bunch of men who are upset about this update because they're like they're changing the rules again like UTMB come on and actually these changes are because a group of athletes got together and had a meeting with UTMB and requested these changes be made that that better the elite field that help athletes with their calendars that make sure we don't have to overrace like yes UTMB is a business. Yes. They want us to collect a stone, et cetera. Like this is, this will be how they continue their model, but this, these changes specifically for elite qualification, um, are better for racers trying to make it into that elite field for UTMB for those auto, those auto qualifiers. And so the biggest thing that's going to happen for 2024 is they're going to replace the second chance list, which is confusing. No one understands what the second chance list is. It makes no sense. You never know where you are on it. It's constantly changing. It's kind of silly. So what they're going to do instead is that basically, um, when you do a UTMB series race, like you inherently all have a UTMB index score. And that's kind of like a, a static score that is based on two years of racing averages at every race you do, you're also assigned a UTMB score from that race. Basically like how well did you perform at that race? And that is in, that is in, uh, comparison to the field, right? If it's a super competitive race and you do well, you'll get a higher UTMB index score for that race. They use a really good example on the website of like Blondine here and Dale, who has like some super high index score. And then her performance at CCC warranted another score which is a little bit lower, but essentially like, instead of being on a second chance list, you can go to a competitive race. You don't have to worry about it being competitive, right? You don't have to go seek out the least competitive race where you think you're most likely to get top three. You can go to Istria, you can go to canyons, you can go to Valderon, you can go to, you know, something that you think might be really competitive and do well and still not be top three, but because you've done well in a competitive field, you'll get a high enough index score to get into the race. And you'll know as soon as the race is done, what that score is and if you've qualified or not. And it has to be a UTMB race. Though. Yes, 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 yes. It yeah, is yeah, still part of the thought. UTMB okay. series. So, but that just means that you don't have to avoid going to a competitive race because you're worried you might not be top three, or you don't have to drop out of a competitive race because all of a sudden you're running in fifth, yeah. because if you're running well in fifth, you'll still have a high enough index score. And if the race is deep enough, like a Western States, mm-hmm. you might be 15th and get a high enough index right. score. Off but is of Western it. States part of the UTMB series? World series. Yes, it is. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Sure got it. is. <clears throat> Cause I was sure so is. confused. Cause I was like, I know we, we all have like index scores, but not all of the index scores are from UTMB races. So then this is just yes. 
UTMB yes. race index scores. Got it. Yep. So your, like your personal index score is different than the points you might achieve an index point you might achieve at a race. Uh-huh. That is okay. the confusing part of that. But I swear, if you read the instructions on the website, it actually makes sense. And they use Blondine <laughs> as an example. And you're like, oh, okay, I get it. She and has this index score. Yeah. She has this CCC score. And then you could like, well, like I'll, yeah. I'll bring an example from Transvalkania next time we chat. But say instead you weren't ranked with a point score, right? Say you don't have it. Say your ranking is number two, not, not a ranking of 860. Oh, your ranking yeah. of being number two doesn't get you into the race. Mm-hmm. But when you do a series race and mm-hmm. your score from that race is worth 800 UTMB index score, right. that qualifies you. Yeah. Your ranking like still right might be now, two or one or three, but yeah, your right. index score from that confusing. specific race. It's like UTMB my, index my score right now is my, my UTMB index score is nothing. But my index score for like all of trail running is something else. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because I haven't raced a UTMB race in the last two years. Yeah. yeah. But there are races, races that are qualifiers. So races that used to give you points for UTMB, right? You like, you'd have to go collect five points right. here and four mm-hmm. points here. And that would let you qualify. Mm-hmm. Most of those races are still called qualifiers. Those races do count towards a UTMB oh. index score, but okay. you cannot qualify from the finals from those races. You must go to a series race and in that specific race, have a good performance. Mm. You don't have to be top three anymore. You have to just perform well. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So don't drop out. If you're, if <laughs> don't drop out, go to Transylvania. Don't drop out. I promise you'll make it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the goal there. The next one that they've done is they've extended the qualification window, um, which means that any race in 2023 will qualify you for 2023 or 2024. They used to only have a 15 month window. Basically like what that meant is that races that happened in April of 2023 were good for only 2023, not 2024. Mm-hmm. They've done away with that. Right. Races now have like a two year window essentially. So you can Makes qualify. Sense for the the race this year or the race the following year. What that means is that like Alyssa Clark, for example, won the Canyons 100 mile. She's not going to do Western or she's not going to do UTMB this fall. She can use it for 2024. So that means you don't have to do a hundred mile every single year to qualify. That means you don't have to over race to qualify. This means that you could qualify in advance of the year that you want to race, meaning that you can set your calendar. You have like uh protection. Yeah. Cause I was confused because I was like, well, if like if say you get top three at Western States that get you into UTMB, like you would have to race it the same year with the current system. And so I'm really yes. glad they updated it because that is just so silly to require yeah. someone to do that turnaround. We know that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. The turnaround is too tight. Nice so, job team. Yeah, there's <laughs> that. And then um, the next one, which is something that was actually in place last year that I don't think they talked about very much was that you can, you don't have to race hundred K to qualify for hundred K or hundred mile to qualify for hundred mile, you can move a distance. So I'm going to direct quote it. So I don't mess it up. And it says any runner can request a change of category, one category above or below. So 50 K hundred K hundred mile are the three categories. The exception to this is the 20 K a 20 K result cannot qualify for OCC. For example, the request will be evaluated by the UTMB world series sport committee and will depend on the reason given by the runner and the availability of bibs in the requested race. We've been told by, uh, the Pilates that like this should be approved for people. Um, requests should be made as soon as qualification is obtained. IE, if you ran the 50 K at canyons and you qualified for OCC because you're top 10, 
you can also, you can write in and request be moved to CCC, for example. Um, and that's all at the website. It's all updated. I think it's written super clearly on the website. I think that we probably created extra confusion during this, but hopefully uh, my comment. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I um, cut it. But yeah, like <laughs> these updates are good. They benefit the elites. We are super in support of them. Um, the PTRA and some other athletes worked really closely with the UTMB to make those happen. Um, before we dive into a super cool interview, we have, we got to give one more shout out to another sponsor. And again, that is the feed. I love seeing what you guys get in your feed orders. I love seeing your trail society water bottles out there in the wild. And again, you can go to www.thefeed.com slash trail society there. You can get a $15 feed credit quarterly to use towards product. Um, the water bottles are amazing. You've been tagging us on social media with those water bottles. Keely's looking around to see if hers is on her desk and it is not. <laughs> if this, if you were listening to this in your ears, that made no sense to you and that is okay. But I'd recommend trying out the feed. It's really nice to be able to mix and match supplements and gels and chews and breakfast things and waffles and recovery drinks. So uh, if you haven't yet, go over to the feed.com slash trail society, get that credit. It's free food. I mean, you got to spend a little bit, but it's mostly free food. So um, go try it out and let us know what you got in your feed box when you do place that order. But we have a really cool interview. We've talked a lot already. We've got a really, really cool interview for you and Keely because you work with Kelly really closely. I'm wondering if you can introduce um, who we're about to talk to. Sure. Yeah. We're so excited to share with you guys this interview. We're going to be talking to a friend of mine, but also a friend of the pod. I feel like she has friend a ton of, of experience in the field of sports nutrition and is a wealth of knowledge of all things fueling and exercise physiology. Dr. Kelly Pritchett, she has her PhD in exercise physiology, is a registered sports dietitian, director of sports nutrition at Central Washington University, and an associate professor in nutrition and exercise science. She has a ton of research experience in the world of pre and post exercise fueling and specializes in better understanding the female athlete by studying things like low energy availability and disordered eating and aims to raise awareness around the negative impacts of these things in athletics. And we loved talking with her and we will send you over to that interview now. Uh, my name is Kelly Pritchett. I'm an associate professor in nutrition and exercise science at Central Washington University. Um, I'm also the director of our sports nutrition for athletics. Um, and I am a mom of three boys. <laughs> And I'm also a runner. So I love seeing how you kind of like bridge the gap between legitimate science and then like, you know, digesting it for mediums such as um, like runner's world and all those things to make it easily digestible by a lot of, you know, runners who maybe can't digest the, the real research. Um, so I know some of it's probably top secret, but can you give us a brief overview of like some of the projects you're currently working on and what's fueling your fire right now? Yeah, so I have... A few grad students currently finishing um, their thesis right now, and we've got a few um, surveys looking at low energy availability and disordered eating risk in recreational runners as well as collegiate runners. And then we have two other projects looking at trail runners and very similar similar nature in terms of low energy availability, exercise dependence, and disordered eating, and the relationship between those 
we'll get into the details of low energy availability and disordered eating and all of that a little bit later. Um, but for the audience, could you maybe clarify initially, like what the difference between an RD and a nutritionist is and like kind of bridge that gap for everybody and what maybe the differences are in your day-to-day -day versus a nutritionist? Really, anyone with a health-related degree could call themselves a nutritionist. Um, in terms of like practicing, it depends on the state that you live in. Very um, certain certain states have very specific like licensure laws that prevent individuals from practicing. Um, but for example, like in the state of Washington, anyone can practice nutrition. So, um, but we just they can't use the title dietitian. So. Um, a dietitian, however, they've completed an undergrad degree in dietetics, and as of 2024, there will be a master's requirement um, before they can complete a nine to 12 month internship, and then they sit for the registered dietitian nutritionist exam, and then have to obtain CEUs every five years to, to maintain that credential. It's a pretty big difference, honestly. Totally. Yeah. What, what was the motivation behind going and pursuing, you know, your RD as well as a PhD in exercise physiology? Yeah. So the, the RD, I think stemmed from my collegiate career as a swimmer. Um, we didn't have access to a dietitian at the time. And um, I know that I was making a lot of mistakes um, just as an athlete. And so I got really curious about nutrition and decided to major in it. Um, in terms of the, the PhD, I always had an interest in performance and didn't want to do the internship right away. Cause it's a, it's a long commitment, a 12 month commitment where you're not paid. And so, um, I did a master's and then a PhD. So I guess one thing led to another. Um, and then I realized I just love teaching. And so went back to do the dietetic internship during my PhD as well. <laughs> you said you had a couple instances while you were an athlete where you were fueling or doing things wrong. What were some of those things that you can reflect on now that you did wrong as an athlete on your own? Yeah, so when I transitioned to college, things kind of changed from a nutrition standpoint, just being really busy as an athlete and um, you know, we leave morning practice and go straight to an eight o'clock class and I wouldn't have breakfast, that type of thing. So it wasn't necessarily like an intentional underfueling situation. Um, I would say it's more unintentional and just lack of education. And so I think it was my sophomore year. I lost my period for probably, it was probably nine months and then went to see an OBGYN and, you know, let's put you on birth control was the this is common. This is normal for an athlete. So yeah, I think I tried birth control for a few months and then I was this awful person. <laughs> Didn't work. Oh man. Yeah. Birth control did not work for me either, but it's, it's shocking. Some people. Yeah. It definitely works for some people. And I just think it's still so sad when that's the only solve that the doctor thinks of for an athlete that doesn't have their menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's like slowly shifting, but it's been the norm for so long, like all my high school teammates, same sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah. obviously we all kind of understand the negative implications of under fueling. Um, but why don't we just get into the weeds a little bit and talk to the importance of fueling and have you walk us through like what's actually going on when we do something like 
fuel before a workout? And like, why is that so important? Yeah, so I'll use a very simple analogy for for pre-workout and and or pre-exercise. And that's, you know, if you're going to go on a long road trip, you're not going to drive your car on empty, right? So you're going to stop, you're going to go to a gas station, fill up. So same thing with fueling and, um, you know, consuming carbs before a workout is going to provide fuel or energy so that um, you can have more confidence going into the training session. You'll feel better, uh, better decision-making, decreased fatigue, and arguably better recovery. Got it. Yeah. I feel like a lot of us like to start our runs on gas half empty, you know, like oh, we'll be fine. We're just going to fuel during it. But yeah, having that tank like topped off in the beginning is just such a game changer. I feel like you can notice it right away. Um, Mm -hmm. So then when it comes to post-workout fueling, I feel like I'm kind of crushing it right now. I downed like two pieces (laughs) of pizza and I have a goo smoothie. Um, But, you know, I used to not really prioritize post-run fueling um, or during run fueling or pre-run fueling, but so obviously we know there's benefits to all of them. What about like post-run fueling? What is the importance there? And like, what's kind of going on in the muscles? Why is it so important to fuel post-workout? Yeah, this, this was my, my dissertation area. So this is a topic that I love and I think recovery is probably my favorite, but you know, after exercise, depending on the duration of, of the training session, you've likely depleted your glycogen stores if you've exercised for more than 90 minutes. And so after exercise, you've got increased blood flow to the muscle. You have an increase in, if you want me to get really scientific, I guess, GLUT4 transporters, which take glucose into the muscle cell, as well as glycogen synthase. So it's really a favorable time to replace glycogen. Um, and to, you know, that first 30 minutes after exercise, we call it the insulin independent phase, meaning that glucose can enter the muscle cell in the absence of insulin. So really you're optimizing recovery. And I think of, you know, recovery nutrition as being the four R's, which I don't know, are you guys familiar with the four R's? You want me to go forward? So that's, that's refuel with carbohydrates and repair with protein. So you want to add a little bit of protein, 20 to 25 grams of protein. Um, and that's going to help rebuild and repair your muscles, rehydrate with fluids, and then reinforce with color. And that's your fruits and vegetables that are going to help combat some of that oxidative damage. Oh, I love those four R's. I don't know how I've never heard of them. Had you guys heard of them before? I hadn't, but that's super simple and no. super straightforward. Yeah. Adopting yeah. it now. Yes, for sure. Yay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so obviously, you know, during college and you know, during everyday life when we're all out here trying to balance athletics and work or being a mom or being a student, sometimes we just don't fuel enough after a workout um or before a workout. And so what are some of the negative impacts of not fueling after a workout? And then how can chronically not fueling after a workout, like how does that manifest? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So, you know, I didn't mention that the timing after exercise is really important within the first 30 minutes to, to maybe two hours. And so delaying that feeding. So let's say, oh gosh, I don't have time. I'm not hungry. I'm going to wait till I'm hungry. So if you delay 
delay the carbohydrate, especially um, research has shown a 45% lower glycogen replacement rate. And what that means is that it just takes longer to fully restore um, your glycogen levels. And so ultimately, I think your recovery suffers and um, those training adaptations that you really want to occur may not happen, um, especially if this is something that's happening frequently, you know, once or twice is not going to kill us. But um, if this is a common thing over time, I think just failure to perform would be the biggest thing and potentially increasing your risk for low energy availability. Obviously, if we miss fueling after one workout, we're not going to develop low energy availability from one, one mess up, but what is low energy availability? How does it manifest? And then how, what, what, what do we look for in, in that? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. So first, if we start with, with energy availability, uh, we can look at an athlete's energy intake and their exercise energy expenditure, and you divide that by fat free mass. Um, and so it's something that's I feel like we simplify, especially on social media and things like that, but it's actually very difficult to measure, um, you know, due to inaccuracies with like food reporting over under reporting. So something that's very difficult to measure and the same with like getting an accurate um, exercise energy expenditure, but low energy availability would be defined as less than 30 kilocalories per kilogram of fat-free mass per day. And what that means is it's kind of a threshold where we start to see negative um, ramifications. So like decrease in or a change in menstrual cycle um, is probably the biggest red flag. Um, and, you know, so to give you an example, somebody's consuming 2000 calories and they're expending a thousand calories through exercise got 45 kilograms of fat-free mass, there's only about 950 calories left to support the body's basic physiological functions. And so that's like breathing, maintenance of core temperature, those sort of things. So that's why we see menstruation take a back seat because it's not on the body's priority list. Can I ask a follow-up question on the the menstruation? Um, mm -hmm. When we see it, like I'm I'm curious if you're seeing when you're when when we refer to changes in in a menstrual cycle, I think sometimes people associate that with a complete loss. But I think that yeah. there's a period where it can shift, mm -hmm. right? It can shift to being shorter in duration or like flow, right? Like what are these things that we can actually look at as opposed to just an extreme, like where we completely lose it, um, where we're kind of like, okay, maybe we actually need to pay attention to fueling more to kind of get this back in a, in a more like regular way. Yeah, totally. And I think what you're describing is eumenorrhea. So you might skip a period or you're, you're, you you might have light bleeding for a day or two. And so, yeah, I think those can definitely be signs that, hey, we're maybe underdoing it. We need a little bit more. Um, and that, you know, this is something that we we looked at in some of our research. The the tool that we'll talk about later is the leaf cue. And it does look at some of those changes in, in your cycle. And I guess the other thing that I think well, I don't want to, I don't want to say that we, we harp on it on our podcast because that seems very negative, but <laughs> this idea that like we work in a, in a, the trail running space and the three of us 
in particular do like ultra endurance events. And I think that mm-hmm. when a lot of people think of low energy availability, they associate it with like an intentional restriction or disordered eating. But I think a lot of athletes don't recognize that like just keeping up with their day-to-day demands is actually much harder than they anticipate. And they can very easily end up in this place while having a great relationship with food. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering kind of like, is there a way in the research or the way that you think of this in your day-to-day practice or in education to like really like drive that point home that it's not just an intentional low energy availability. It's like a, an oopsie that can happen to any of us at any time. Definitely. I think that that's important to stress. And I do see a lot of athletes that it's more unintentional and due to, to a high training volume. I think, you know, for example, like a cross country skier, they just might not have any idea, um, what their energy needs are and how much they're expending. And so that's where a dietitian comes in and, you know, can, can really help educate them. And wow, I did not know that I needed to be eating that much. Cause I think we, we don't realize. Yeah, totally. And kind of piggybacking off of Hillary's question around, you know, menstrual cycle irregularities that could be indicative of something coming down the line that, you know, we should mm-hmm. be aware of. One thing I noticed from a lot of your studies, specifically the one looking at Paralympians and low energy availability, was that you couldn't really predict low energy availability mm-hmm. based off caloric consumption, but you could predict it off a lot of other parameters. And so in your ideal world, like what parameters would you gather? And would some of those parameters be able to be kind of predictive of like catching LEA before it manifests? Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's that's a good question. And um and that was a, that's an interesting study to talk about, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think because of the issues with measuring energy availability, um, I think we can look at just some other factors like with males, for example, like what is, what's your sex drive like, um, um, you know, rather than going in and having to do blood work. So what, we can ask athletes, these things, are you tired? Are you irritable? Um, did you lose your, your period? So I think just, you know, those sort of questions that we think are simple, um, can be red flags. Um, yeah, you mentioned males. Do you see differences in the prevalence of LEA in different genders or between different sports? And so with, with, um, you know, LEA in males, there's not an established threshold in the male population. So, I don't know that, you know, 20 has been thrown around as kind of being the cutoff where we start to see changes in testosterone um, and sex drive and things like that. But, um, and same with the para-athlete population. So kind of going back to that, I think, you know, we don't have a, we don't have a lot of information on that population. So um, with males, I think, I think it's maybe more under reporting or perhaps unintentional, um, just not prioritizing fueling. And um, I know some of the cross country runners that male runners that I work with collegiate runners, it's often just like, it's not an intentional thing. Um, It's more of a, like, you know, I just don't take the time to plan. I think females I shouldn't say this, I should not stereotype, but I do think are a little bit better um, 
or maybe more type A when it comes to planning things. <laughs> I'm going to drink more. I'm going to eat more, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think males maybe are just don't report it. And I guess, interestingly, I feel like I, once again, I'm using the word harp. We harp on research a lot about being like very male, male dominated, yeah. but this feels like maybe one of the few instances mm-hmm. outside of like gynecological studies where mm-hmm. like men are maybe underrepresented and like doing, doing some, well, I will always push for, for all gender inclusion in studies and female inclusion in studies, like yeah. looking at a male population in this realm would, would be helpful and indicative of like, they don't have a cycle to lose for that, like canary mm-hmm. in the coal mine situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think you're right. It is an area where we've, we have focused primarily on, on females and, um, and also to endurance sports and aesthetic sports, um, you know, sports where we're wearing less clothing, like those have been emphasized, but that does not mean that, you know, ball sports like rugby, female rugby players, volleyball, they're not, um, exempt from the risk either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And would you say that compared to their male counterparts with the research that's out there right now? do female athletes tend to have like a higher prevalence of low energy availability or things like disordered eating and body dissatisfaction? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think the the literature, you know, consistently reports that, but I also think we, we need more data on males. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think the Western state study was the one that kind of pointed this finger at this oh, yeah. potential of like, based on the surveys done, they thought that the male athletes had like a higher, um, not risk, but like the potential of leaning towards disordered eating, um, but had less reported bone stress injuries. But I think their DEXA scans also weren't as like, like their DEXA scans mirrored this like potentiality in their survey results, but like Mm -hmm. still hadn't had the reported bone stress injuries that the female participants had. But it was interesting because that was the first time where I think a lot of heads like, in yeah. our like in our little world like popped up being like oh okay like there's something going on here with this like male population within this study at least in this 100 mile race so there's something there definitely and then there was another study at Dor- done um in Flagstaff Arizona where i think they they really highlighted males there um and the other thing about males too and you mentioned bone stress injuries is i think that they can get away some of the cycling research has suggested this that like if they have periods of low energy availability they're a little bit more resilient to it than say a female would be yeah some protective protective yeah. nature of testosterone etc mm-hmm. interesting okay i i digress that was my tangent sorry it's <laughs> good no that was great um Another paper that we found really interesting from yours was the one that was a survey that asked Olympic trial marathon qualifiers questions around, you know, satisfaction with their body weight, eating disorder risk, Mm -hmm. previous eating disorder, Um, and would love it if you could just kind of talk us through some of the key findings in that paper, because I just think some of those findings are so important Mm -hmm. to be verbalized. Yeah, so that project um, was a survey that um, was a collaboration with Dr. Abby Larson. Um, And so it was just a fantastic opportunity, I think, to look at this. But we found that 32% of the Olympic trial qualifier runners, females, 
um, self-reported a prior eating disorder. Um, and we found that 44% were dissatisfied with their weight. Um, roughly close to 70% were consciously reducing calories. Um, and there were some interesting findings, I guess, with, with body weight and finishing times. We didn't find um, a relationship between body weight and finish times. But again, it's a cross-sectional study, so um, you can't really establish causation there. Um, but another interesting thing is just looking back at that data is there, the weights were, there was a pretty, pretty wide range in terms of the weights, which was kind of refreshing to see, um, especially given the, the stereotype. So. Yeah. And I think it's just, there's studies like these that I think need to be elevated a lot because they highlight that there is a wide diversity and range in weights, but there's mm -hmm. also, you know, there's clearly not a correlation, especially if you're showing symptoms of a disordered eating, there's not going to be a correlation between the weight and your performance because maybe you're just depleted mm -hmm. in energy. Right. Like, I think it just like highlights all yeah. these issues that people don't like to confront because mm -hmm. they want to think that if they lose weight, they're going to be faster, but yeah. it's not necessarily always the case. Mm -hmm. Or they've been told that, you know, by someone and it's, I, I think that's where the narrative needs to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In your ideal world, where would you start <laughs> to start to change this narrative? Oh man, I think high school, I think there's so much work to be done with, with high school athletes. It's such a crucial time, you know, their, their body's changing. And if we can tell them that like this change is going to happen, it's normal. Don't fight it. Um, I'm sure you've all heard this before, but you know, involve the coaches, involve the parents, um, you know, get a sports dietitian in to speak to your high school cross country team. I think that's, that's so valuable. Yeah. And I feel like I took an interest in this because I think it was not talked about in ultra and trail running. Um, when I entered the sport, I don't know if you guys feel that way, Corinne and Hillary, but I feel like it was almost not talked about at least in like the elite sub elite realm of like oh you know let's be tough enough to not need fuel let's see how many gels we can get away <laughs> with not eating like it was never praised to be something that you should try really hard to do and I'm yeah I wonder if you guys had that same feeling with the sport um I didn't have that exact same feeling but I also didn't come from a collegiate running background I came more from tennis so like fueling during tennis wasn't really the same like we maybe had like you know um things in our bottles or we kind of have like snacks in between sets but it wasn't exactly exactly the same so I mean I was fortunate enough that I had a really good coach so I know Corinne and I share the same coach yeah. Adam St. Pierre and so we started talking about that but I kind of had to learn it on my own. Um, you know, we started talking about it during like long runs and how to fuel for it. Um, but it was also through example. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was necessarily of like trying not to eat, but it was like, I didn't, I didn't know it was a thing, honestly, until someone told me. Um, so I needed that. And I'm, my coach is very scientific, right? He, he was, he was in, you know, research and, you know, he's, he's, he's a physiologist and an exercise physiologist. So, I mean, yeah, but I, I need, I, I wasn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily talked about as, as it is now. Yeah. I came from Nordic skiing where we like legit carried like pieces of cake in our waist belts during training runs. So I feel like it's a little anomalous 
there. Um, and we raced shorter, so we didn't necessarily take fuel in during races, except for the one long event we did. And we, it was marathon style. Like they handed you like a tiny bottle and you tried to get most of it in your mouth instead of on your face type of thing. But yeah, the, the, the fueling for training was such a part of, of skiing, but I do recall like welcoming new friends into the sport who are coming from like the road, um, or collegiate careers and being like, Oh, you're doing a 50 K like, you, you know, you have to eat, right. Like, you know, you have to practice this. Right. And it's like, I think it's once again, being lucky to have mentors. I came in with Nikki Kimball as my mentor. And, mm-hmm. um, not only did we, did she, you know, we were eating food on the run, but we'd have a big, a huge brunch at her house afterwards, after most long runs on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, more dogs than people generally on those days, but it was fun. <laughs> like, I think, I think that it really is like location, community, your coach, your mentor, like those things are really hit or miss, mm-hmm. like based on who's bringing you into the sport, um, at a high school level, at a collegiate level, at a post-collegiate level. Like that is, I think, yeah. like, I think it's trending in the right direction in which there's more of us to be strong voices. But yeah, I mm-hmm. think that I, I got lucky in the sense that the people that brought me through different levels of sport all had like really like we're really level-headed and really liked food. So I feel, I feel very blessed in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that it definitely depends on the group you associate with, but I think anecdotally, Mm -hmm. like I've definitely witnessed a lot of disordered eating and overtraining in the sport and people coming into the sport and leaving the sport with injuries. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, as the sport's been growing, it's been interesting to watch this evolve. Um, and I, I'm really excited about the study that Kelly and I launched like a year ago because we're actually like looking into some of the prevalence in this sport, because I think there's been obviously not that many studies looking at low energy availability in males and females in general. There's really mm-hmm. not many that look mm-hmm. at the trail running population just because obviously it's it's a newer sport. And now it's luckily getting to the size that we can actually get a good amount of data from. And so Kelly, do you mind kind of talking us through an overview of our the study that we're currently, you know, in the midst of submitting to journals and dealing with all of the yes. edits and everything on. <laughs> that we're so excited about that many of us, many of our listeners probably were participants and filled this out. So it's very cool to like get to see final products of it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. If you did participate in this study, I think I'm super excited about it too. But as, as Keely mentioned, like this is um, something that takes a little bit of time, research, <laughs> doesn't necessarily get pumped out overnight. So it does take take some time, but um, we implemented a survey um, for trail runners where we um, looked at risk of low energy availability using the LEAF Q, which is a questionnaire that assesses risk, um, and the DESA-6, which looks at disordered eating, and then the exercise dependence scale, um, to assess exercise dependence. And then we looked at fueling habits during training, um, and racing. And so we found that roughly 43% of, of trail runners, um, under, this was in our group under the age of 40, um, were at risk for LEA and at risk for disordered eating. And then we found a pretty high percentage, about 87%, reported symptoms related to exercise dependence. So they didn't necessarily meet the full-blown criteria um, for exercise dependence. But um, yeah, and that LEAF-Q and DESA scores were correlated, which just means that LEA 
um, and disordered eating were highly correlated or risk of, I should say. That exercise dependency part is so interesting because like, so Jill Colonia, who did her master's degree at Harvard, she put like her master's thesis, I think has been like well-read in our sport at this point, talking about like mental, Mm -hmm. mental health in the, in the sports space. But this, this thing she kept getting at over and over again was this like exercise dependency thing that she like, couldn't quite like fully, you know, like she couldn't say like, Hey, this is a thing in the sport because it's it's research and you can't, can't just, you know, say it, say it, but like the way she like Mm -hmm. aggressively hints at it throughout is like, okay. Like, and I think Keely, that's what you were speaking to, like why people exit, enter and exit the sport so rapidly is I think that all these things are, are correlated to one another, right? Like actually dependency, LEA, like you can see how this spirals out of control super quickly and that a lot of us probably just get lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of too, morbid, sorry. It is. With exercise dependence though, that's, you know, it's interesting to think about because it's not actually, um, there's not an actual diagnosis um, according to the DSM-5. So looking at psychological or mental illness, um, so really it's like this, um, I don't want to say theory, but essentially, yeah, we don't have a true diagnosis at the moment. Right. Yeah. But it, it does seem to be correlated to all of these other negative, you know, health outcomes of the sport. So something mm-hmm. that maybe will continue to get some traction as we continue to dive into this space. Um, and then I was really stoked about the section we asked about fueling. Cause I feel oh, like, yeah. again, it's not <laughs> an easy one to measure per mm-hmm. your previous studies and for a ton of other studies. But I do think because we had so many people take the survey that at least it's like an interesting, um, data point to reference, um, like looking mm-hmm. in how people actually fuel for, you know, shorter training runs, longer training one runs and those same kind of races. Mm-hmm. And so do you mind just kind of talking through that kind of part of the data too. And then. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I thought it was great that we were able to look at this because it it is an interesting question. And so we, we, we found that basically for those shorter, like one to two and a half hour runs that a lot of the runners did pretty good, um, meeting the recommendations of 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour, Um, But once you go over two and a half hours in duration, um, the recommendations go up. So 60 to 90 grams. And we found there that like 50% of runners reported reported not meeting the 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour. And so why that is, is it a gut issue? Is it... You know, that's another question that I'd like to explore. So what what is that barrier? Why are athletes not meeting that, you know? Yeah, convenience, expense, et cetera. I was talking with a friend who's a a registered dietitian here in in Seattle last night. um, And I was like, yeah, I want to do a whole post about like um, calories per cent. Like when, like Mm -hmm. for like these kind of alternative fueling things, i.e. I can't maybe afford all these gels, but I can afford like little Debbie snack cakes and like how, Mm -hmm. what, what is my calorie percent breakdown on an oatmeal cream pie? I think there's like, it's probably multifactorial, right? I also like, yeah. in in our last podcast reflected on this race I did in Madeira where I did not do a good job practicing in my long runs and like could feel that 
I didn't have nausea or GI distress during the race, but like mm-hmm. I didn't want to eat and I would yeah. have to like physically stop running and like get a gel down and be like, okay, you're fine. Keep going now. And I think it's, we, uh, we like to run and we like to train, but we don't oftentimes like to do the little things that allow us to mm-hmm. train better and race better as a result. So we're a weird, a weird bunch of oh, humans, yeah. I think. <laughs> It takes time too to figure out like what works for you individually and what your gut can tolerate. But um, you're totally right. I think it's it's training. It's just practicing it over and over. Um, I think if you know, like a finicky gut is probably the biggest issue I see, and mm-hmm. um, that could be related to underfueling too. Um, so lots of factors. Yeah. Yeah. So looking forward, what is your ideal like outcome of this body of work and how would this fuel future studies and pun was intended there. (laughs) I love it. It's good. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think creating awareness, changing the conversation, you know, I hope athletes that are up and coming can, you know, just have a better start than, um, you know, maybe we did, I'm older, so <laughs> we didn't have this information then. So I, you know, that's my hope. And, um, in terms of like future work, I mentioned the, the, um, the fueling and, and looking at barriers to fueling, I think would be super interesting, but, um, I've got another survey in the works to look at cyclists. So, and Keely, I think you're involved with that. Because <laughs> our our Keely is never overextended, right? You Always. can say no. <laughs> I think that is the theme of our podcast: is that between the three of us, we are all chronically overextended, but happy doing it. Some of that research on like interday energy def- deficits too seems to be like a really a way to maybe help people wrap their brains around mm-hmm. how you get caught up in LEA. Cause LEA feels like this long chronic thing and I should be able to stay on top of it and should be able to counter it. But it seems like from research coming out that even this, these like big interday energy mm-hmm. discrepancies, which would be like, Oh, I did a long run or I did a hard workout and I didn't like get on my fueling right away. Like those could have like real significant ramifications. And I think that yeah. that'd be a cool area to expand yeah. upon. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anecdotally, I feel like I am very sensitive to those now. Like if I mess up, I'm like, whoa, I am out of it. (laughs) Why don't you just walk us through like what a typical consultation with you would look like? And then we'll do a little bit of specific scenarios and then we'll, we'll wrap. Yeah. So a typical scenario involves an assessment. So we always assess first, you know, and that gives me an idea of like any past medical history, typically a 24 hour recall that in a food frequency questionnaire. So that gives me a general idea of like what they're eating um, and how much, if they have any intolerances or foods they avoid. So it's pretty comprehensive lab work, things like that. Um, And then, then we have a conversation. This is an hour long consult with the athlete, figure out their goals. And typically we come up with three goals that we want to work on. So they need to be um, manageable and the client needs to be 90% confident that they um, can move forward with these goals. And then, you know, depending on where they are, they may or may not require a follow-up. I tend to encourage several. 
um, just depending on the athlete. But ultimately, I want to give the athlete the tools to, you know, know how to fuel their body and know how to make good decisions. And um, yeah. Yeah, I love the the thought that we should all be able to know what our body needs. So like giving us the knowledge mm-hmm. to be able to do that is really helpful. Um, so if you were to get an inquiry from uh, an athlete who is showing like initial signs of LEA, maybe they've told you that they haven't had their menstrual cycle, uh, among other things, how would you go about addressing something like this? Yeah, and I think I don't know if Corinne realized it a minute ago, but she <laughs> she kind of hit this. We, I typically start with the pre, during, and post fueling as a way to um, really ensure because that's typically where they're missing the energy if it's an unintentional situation. So unintentional, um, I feel like is a little bit easier to deal with because you don't have the psychological um, reasons behind it. Um, so starting with pre, during, and post um, often will help restore energy availability. And that might be, we might be talking 300 calories. Okay. So we won't start huge and freak everyone out because that can be scary. Um, if they're not having their menstrual cycle, then oftentimes I'll do vitamin D supplementation, um, and look at calcium intake and determine whether more is needed, but that's just kind of a, like first steps. Um, and then if it's uh, an intentional situation, then we might look at, um, a referral to a psychologist. Although I think dietitians, we do a lot of work, um, in the psychology realm. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with behaviors around food. And, um, so it's oftentimes just working through that with the client, just having conversations that might not even be about food, um, initially to get them to gain trust and permission to eat. I mean, those sort of things that seem simple, but we do a lot of work in that space. You can so you can you can find me on Instagram at kpritchettrd or Inside Sports Nutrition. I've got a blog and an Instagram page with Dr. Nimrita Kumar, um, and then I Central Washington University. You can find me <laughs> on the website there if you need to email me. And, oh, and free trail. Yep, there she's all that. over the place. One we of have, our experts. We have her as a free trail expert. <laughs> We are very fortunate to have you as a free trail expert. That was such a great interview with Dr. Kelly Pritchett. Dr. Kelly, really, really cool human being. And I'm so excited that she's part of the free trail community. Like, how cool is that? We're legit. (laughs) It's so good to see that that kind of research, I mean, it's out there, you know, it's, um, it's really important stuff. Yeah, super, super important stuff. And we'll link to... Um, a lot of it in the show notes. So if you are looking for something specific on low energy availability, those research studies or how to get a hold of Dr. Pritchett yourself, you can find those in our show notes. And before we let you go, we got to give a society slam brought to you by Petzl. That's right. Petzl, they're shining a, a spotlight on the community. I uh, have been talking to a lot of athletes about headlamps recently. And uh, I've got to say Petzl has been the go-to, be it the the new one, the Petzl Now RL, or I've got an athlete doing Miwok coming up and we're, he's going to use the Bindi, 
the little guy because he just needs a little bit of light at the beginning and hopefully no light at the end. Um, it's cool that there's a variety of headlamps to get you where you need to go on the trail. All sizes, all prices. It's pretty sweet. I've got a whole collection. I've got a family of pretzels at this point. Yeah, I've been using Petzl my entire trail running career. So they are my go-to. Find them, Me find too. them. Yeah, in your local, your local running store, your local REI, whatever, whatever you've got in your backyard. Go check out a Petzl today. Who wants to slam first? Mm, I can't. I got, I got one. Oh, go ahead. Oh, Take it, okay. Haley. Um, I mean, it's more of a, it's more of a personal one. Um, one of the athletes that I coach, um, we've been working together and I think it's, uh, and this, this episode will be very pertinent for her. Um, but basically just on kind of revamping what she thinks about fueling and what that means for running. And, um, we've been working really hard on it for why going on two years now. And she's really noticing changes and, um, basically that she's running faster and eating more than she ever has. And she told me the other day when I was talking to her that trail society is like just the podcast in general. It's just something that helps her keep motivated and like stay on track when, you know, the little voice in her head wants to doubt it. Obviously me too, as her coach, but still like, it's really important that she has like the other support network and um, yeah. So shout out to you guys and Kelly for this episode too. I love it. I love it. Mine, mine is about canyons. So many of you came up to me or ran by me or literally were just like walking past and yelled or Dylan and I were like live on YouTube on the stage and people would like walk behind the camera and like give a little shout out. It was really, really cute. Um, lots of, I love the podcast yelling in Auburn, California, and it's really cool. Like, I hope that like, we can encourage you to continue to do that for the selfies and the love. It's really cool to meet you all in person and because I feel like now I've got faces in my, in like, in my head that I think of, like, this, these are like, you're who we're talking to. Um, so never, never hesitate. Hopefully we'll, we'll get to meet many of you at Broken Arrow and at Western States and at other events this summer. Um, it's really, really cool. So thank you for saying hi. Never be embarrassed to do it. I promise I'll be way more awkward than you are every single time. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, Keep shooting into the trail.society DMs as well. We love getting those messages. We're definitely a little behind on some of them. So sorry if you've been hanging out in the DMs for a bit now. We will get to you, we promise. Um, but I want to give a shout out to Maddie from Bend. She wanted to thank us for our recent episode on how to deal with illness during training. Um, she said it dropped the same day that she started to have some cold symptoms and within 24 hours was bedridden with a bad virus. It was out two weeks from race day at the time. But the encouragement from Corinne and Keeley from both scientific evidence perspective and personal experience was incredibly helpful in keeping me sane during my force taper. Happy to report I raced yesterday, had an amazing mucus free day and a big PR. I so thank you for what you so do. so much. <laughs> it's great. Heck yeah. Yeah. Don't panic. And if you no, need to panic, panic, message us. Like we're good at talking people <laughs> off of ledges, yeah, including yeah. ourselves. I can take that panic energy from you and then just, just leave it with us. Yeah. Just deposit, <laughs> deposit your panic into the trail society DMS and it's no longer yours. Like you don't have to worry about it anymore. We will take it and put it somewhere else and you can just go on your merry way. I think that's the best thing for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't need that in your life. Yeah. Give it, give it to us instead. We'll figure out some way to package it up and put it somewhere else. Um, on that note, thanks you all to all of you for listening. I can't believe we're only a couple episodes away from number 50. What a journey. Um, yeah. Keep listening. Keep sharing. 
like, subscribe, leave a review, hopefully all the stars, however many stars you're allowed to give, like six or eight or something. Fair Do that. <laughs> Fine, five overachievers. Um, and until next time, we'll see you on the trails. Bye.